A boy has gone missing, and his family have no clue where he may be. Police and even the military are called in to help with the search. The majority of missing people are normally found within the first 48 hours of disappearing. In the case of missing children, most return to the place they gone missing from very quickly, and that is usually within the initial 24 hours. Almost all missing children return within the first three days. But sometimes, things are not always as they seem. This is Nordic True Crime. On the 29th of January 2006, in Gothenburg, Sweden, a man by the name of Eddie Larsson calls the emergency services. He explains to the operator that he and his girlfriend were in a shopping centre buying flowers, and as they came out to the car park, their young boy had disappeared from the car he was waiting in. The boy in question is actually Eddie's girlfriend's son. Her name is Nina Eike and her son is Bobby. He is just 10 years old. Eddie says that Bobby must have got out of the car whilst they were in the supermarket. He explains that they have searched the surrounding area as well inside the shopping centre and he is nowhere to be found. Shortly thereafter, the police arrive and they too begin searching for the missing boy. All the hospitals are checked. They search nearby bus shelters. Police dogs are brought in and they, of course, search the supermarket that his mother and her partner had been shopping in. An announcement is made on the local radio station with a description of what Bobby was wearing at the time of his disappearance and what he looks like. Even the military are called in to search the nearby river. To make the situation even more difficult, Bobby suffers from Fragile X Syndrome, a condition that causes a range of development problems, including both learning disabilities and cognitive impairment. He also has autism and is extremely shy. As the search continues, no one could imagine the shocking story that was about to unfold. Due to Bobby's diagnosis, he has lived with a support family every third weekend for the last seven years of his life, as a way of taking some pressure off his mother. The police 
call Bobby's support family and tell them about his disappearance from the car park. The mother of the support family, Inger, challenges these claims almost instantly, asking herself if that is really what has happened. She knows that Bobby is extremely shy and she does not believe that he would dare to unclip the seatbelt and climb out of the car of his own accord. It is, however, believed that there is a possibility Bobby has hidden somewhere and doesn't dare to come out of his hiding place due to his shyness. So Inger travels to the car park, taking her two dogs with her, dogs that Bobby is really fond of, in the hope that he gains the courage to come out of hiding to see them. It is at this time the police begin to think that everything is not as quiet as it seems. Bobby's mother, Nina, is indeed still at the scene of the disappearance, but there is something different about her. She doesn't seem to be particularly worried for a mother whose son has disappeared without a trace. It is the same for her partner, Eddie. He too doesn't seem to be upset, according to the police. Furthermore, it comes to the attention of the police that he has previously been charged for several violent crimes. They are both taken to the police station in order to go through all the details of the disappearance. After taking their statements, the police believe that there is far too many inconsistencies in their account of what happened, and they also believe that they are not telling the whole truth. They decide to investigate who Bobby actually is and what his current family situation is like in order to get a better understanding of what actually might have happened. As we already know, since Bobby was three years old, he had stayed with his support family every third weekend. His mother is a very lonely person and has no contact with Bobby's biological father. However, his grandmother is close to Bobby and function as a second mother to him. Together, both the support family and his grandmother take much of the pressure away from Nina. According to Inger, his mother has difficulty in trying to define what her actual role is in her son's life. This difficulty intensifies due to her son's diagnosis. His hyperactiveness makes it very difficult for him to concentrate. The support family reports to the police that they are convinced that Bobby has not disappeared by himself because he would never do anything on his own initiative. Therefore, they are certain that he would never be able to open the door and go somewhere on his own. They are also suspicious of something that happened roughly six months 
previously. One weekend, when Bobby was due to stay with Inger and her family, she called Nina to double-check what should be packed for Bobby's visit and to inform her that she would pick him up after school that Friday. Surprisingly, Nina explains that she has moved in with her new boyfriend and their new house is in the middle of the forest in a different part of Sweden. And she says that her son will no longer be staying with the support family as they are no longer needed. Inger is quite rightly shocked by this and says to her that she didn't have any idea that she had moved away as the social services have not advised her of this. In Sweden, a support family is a voluntary service and therefore the social services closed the case in line with the mother's wishes as she was moving to another region of the country. Inger knows Bobby more than most. She knows that he needs the extra help. So she contacts the social services and asks them to get in contact with social services in the region Nina has moved to so that they can set Bobby up with a new support family. She even asks them to find a support person for his mother. Someone who can help her find her role as a mother in her son's life. But as Bobby's mother said, the support family is no longer needed and social services cannot force her to have one, so no help is ordered. Inger explains this to the police and an investigation begins as they themselves are already doubting Nina and Eddie's statements. They begin by looking at the couple's journey to the shopping centre in Beckebol on the outskirts of Gothenburg. It seems that on the way to the shopping centre, the couple stopped at a petrol station. When the police look at the security cameras overlooking the petrol station's forecourt, they see no sign of Bobby in the car, just his mother and her partner. Now they know that they are not telling the truth. As we know, Eddie has previously been convicted of violent crimes and the police decide to speak to his ex-girlfriend to get a better picture of what happened when they were together. They both met in the year 2000 through a telephone chat number. Eddie tried to persuade her to move home to him in his cabin in the woods, despite the fact that several people close to her including her own mother, tried to convince her that it was not a good idea as she barely knew him. On their first date, they met at a hotel. He tells her that he lives on a large farm that has a number of employees. He also mentions that he is interested in BDSM. BDSM involves, among other things, roleplay. One person adopts the dominant role and the other the submissive role. 
but one of the most important rules is that the submissive participants often choose a safety word. When this safety word is used, then the roleplay stops. The ex-girlfriend tells him that she is okay with this and that he may bind her, but not hurt her. But after he binds her, he strikes her anyway. He continues to beat her until he has satisfied himself. Despite this incident, he succeeds in persuading the woman to accompany him home the next day. He promises that it will not happen again, and she believes him. The woman decides to stay with him, and it does not take long before history repeats itself. He binds her and strikes her again. In time, he mentally breaks her and she feels unable to leave him of her own accord. His behavior towards the woman escalates and at one point he tells her that she has two choices. She either has to roll around naked in stinging nettles or stand naked and bound and let the mosquitoes in the forest attack her. She didn't want to make a choice, but he said that if she did not choose any of the two options, then she will have to do both. She chooses the mosquitoes. She stands there naked, with the mosquitoes crawling all over her body. After a while, she can't take it anymore and moves. As soon as she does, he strikes her with a piece of wood. The man says that he now has an outlet for his inner lusts. And day after day, he takes her to the room and binds her, hitting her with leather straps and riding whips, as well as having sex with her against her will sometimes as often as eight times a day. Sometimes he would not let her loose and she would lay there bound the whole night. The woman also had a son who was just four years old who Eddie would punish. Among other things, he forced him to stand outside for hours on end and pressed his face into his food. What eventually causes the woman to leave him is when he makes a comment that her son is in the way. He wants her to give him away or for him to disappear in some way. She succeeds in escaping from the secluded cottage with her son, taking with her a recorded video of one of the assaults, which was later used in evidence during his trial. He is then sentenced to just three years in prison for the rape and torture. He had also committed similar crimes against a woman he met before his ex. Eddie claims, however, that the woman 
has always been a willing participant in the roleplay and likes to be punished. He also denies that he punished her son. Bobby's mother was bullied at school and as she grew up, she felt that she was unloved. Her family situation was very unstable. Her father beat her mother and it seems understandably that this affected her a lot. Her experiences made her both very shy and also made it very difficult for her to feel sympathetic towards other people. Throughout her teens, she had many casual sexual encounters, one of which led to an unplanned pregnancy. She believed that the baby would be her saviour, but unfortunately, it would not turn out the way she had hoped. Bobby is born by acute C-section and has to stay in an incubator for a month. In addition, he is born with a cleft palate, which means that his mother is unable to breastfeed him. Nina is now suffering from severe anxiety and feels distant to her son, saying that he feels more like a brother than her own child. Some years later, she meets the man that will later become her partner, the man from the phone chat number, Eddie Larson. He tells her about his interest in BDSM, just as he did for the previous women in his life. He also asks her to come up with a sex story, a sex story with elements of extreme violence. And this is exactly what she does. Here is an extract from that story. He lights the lighter. The flame is big. He puts it under my foot, running it from the heel to the toes. It's excruciatingly painful. He does the same with the other foot. I'm screaming for him to stop. But instead, he takes the lighter even closer to my foot. It is clear that she loves him and wants to please him. She commits her future to him and they then move in together. The police delve deeper into the couple's life together in the last few months. Eddie has previously stated that he lives on a large farm, but this does not prove to be true. In truth, he rents an old cabin that has no running hot water or a toilet, and the closest neighbor live at least one mile away. Just a few short months before he disappears, Bobby starts at a new school. Despite the difficulties he has faced already in his young life, he seems to be enjoying his time at the school and has even met some new friends. His support family tries to meet him several times during this period, but there always seems to be some sort of excuse stopping them from meeting. In the end, 
Nina tells the support family that they will be back in Gothenburg after Christmas and they can all meet up with Bobby then. But unfortunately, this meeting would never happen. Inger tries a new tactic. She calls Bobby's teacher at his own school and asks them to contact his new teachers to see how he is doing both at school and home. The teachers at his new school say that everything is going well and the support family take this as confirmation that all is good. Around the middle of December, Bobby's mother calls the school to say that he won't be coming to school due to sickness. The Christmas holidays are soon over, and when the children start back school in January, Bobby is still absent. During this period, Bobby's teacher calls Nina to see how he is feeling. She always has a good explanation at the ready. At first, he had a fever, then the flu, and now it's a stomach bug, which, in truth, is not unusual. Children often get sick in the winter, so the teacher has no reason to be alarmed. However, they had been told that he would be back at school the week after he had been reported missing, and they also had an appointment with the school doctor that same week. Bobby has now not been seen since the middle of December up until he was reported missing on the 29th of January. On the 14th of February, Nina and Eddie are arrested on the suspicion of murder. They both deny the accusations and maintain that Bobby disappeared from the parking lot, sticking to their original statements. But during further questioning, his mother breaks down and admits what really happened. A story that differs entirely from what she first told the police. Bobby was not on that trip to the shopping center, as the police already know. In fact, at that time, he was not even alive. What happened to Bobby in the last month of his life in the isolated cottage with his mother and her partner is unimaginable. Both his mother and his stepfather have done unthinkable things to him. They have beat him with wooden logs, bound him to a chair with tape, and possibly most shockingly of all, tortured him with electricity, tortured his entire body, even his genitals. At one point, the no doubt terrified Bobby soiled himself and Eddie taped the dirty underwear to Bobby's face as a punishment. He was also bound outdoors, even forced to stand naked outdoors in the harsh, unforgiving Swedish winter. 
They also forced him to drink alcohol through a funnel and abused him with a vacuum cleaner, which they held against his penis until it bled. Nina blames her partner for the abuse, claiming that he is the driving force behind everything. But again, it doesn't take long for her to admit that she herself has also taken part in the shocking abuse of her son. She claims that she was too scared of Eddie to not take part. She didn't dare to say no. She says that he had also abused her. Eddie completely denies having abused Bobby. He claims that the police are treating him unfairly, just as they did when he was last convicted of a violent crime. He blames everything on Nina, saying that she hurt Bobby due to the fact that she was so damn tired of the kid. During that month, Bobby was absent from school. They tortured him continually until his 10-year-old body simply couldn't take anymore and gave up. Shortly before he died, he had been forced to lie naked in the snow. They shoveled snow over his whole body, leaving only his head free. This is where we see more inconsistencies in the couple's accounts of what happened. Eddie claims that they took Bobby up to his room to let him rest. But according to Nina, they put Bobby in a chair in front of the stove because he was literally freezing. After a while, they carried him up to his room and threw him on the bed. They carried him because he couldn't walk by himself. They just left him there on the bed. Later, they discovered that Bobby's body was freezing cold and in fact lifeless. They started CPR, and Nina managed to retrieve a piece of orange from Bobby's mouth, and then carried on with the CPR. But it was all too late. According to the forensic investigation, Bobby more than likely passed out due to the extreme cold forced upon his body. It is likely that he was sick whilst unconscious, and choked on his own vomit. At first, Nina and Eddie kept his body in a haystack as they did not know what to do with him. They then made some sandwiches and coffee, loaded his body into the car and drove around in search of a place to coldly dump him. After some time, they returned to the cottage they could not find a suitable enough place to dump him and decided to put him back in the haystack, where he stayed for the next few days. In the end, they agreed to dispose of the body in a lake. They go out and drill a hole in the ice on Lake Lovsjön and then drive home to fetch the body. They rolled Bobby in black bags and blankets, which they then taped together. They then wrap a heavy chain around the body 
and weigh it down with an iron bar. Nina and Eddie are convicted of aggravated manslaughter and making false statements. They are therefore not convicted of murder because it is not considered by the court that they abused Bobby with the intention to kill him. Taking him back into the warmth of the cottage and giving him CPR when they found his lifeless body shows that they had no intention of killing him in the eyes of the court. They are both sentenced to 10 years in prison, but released after serving just 6 years. They have both been free since 2012 and are now living under protected identities. Bobby was buried on the 7th of June 2006. Bobby's mother was given permission to attend the funeral. She was brought to the church accompanied by a prison guard and then escorted from the funeral when everybody had left. The Swedish newspaper Expressen made a collection of roses in memory of Bobby and to support the charity Bris children's rights in society. 29,049 red roses were collected and were used to cover the whole church. The funeral was organized by the support family and together they sang Bobby's favorite song, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. At the front of the church lay the small coffin containing Bobby, now at rest from his tormentors. He had just turned ten years old. (laughs) 